the All Things XR podcast. where you can get the best AR VR analyzers from the biggest names in the field. Hi everyone, welcome to the All Things XR podcast. I'm Mochtaba. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Enric, founder of ANRK Studio. Hi Enric. Hello, hello. Such a nice, uh, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Welcome to the All Things XR podcast. Can you tell us more about yourself and Enric Studio? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a longtime VR and AR uh, director. I've spent probably almost 10 years now focusing entirely on VR and AR projects and I've worked a lot with commercial companies especially but I wanted to create a space for more experimental uh, work especially for work that does a little bit more long-term thinking I think the longer-term trends of what we are experiencing in the immersive space are really interesting and so studio ANRK is just my studio space in a way it's virtual of course it's remote but it allows me to experiment away from the day-to-day work of, of doing commercial work with clients, which I really enjoy. But it allows me to think a little bit more deeply and to experiment a little bit more with what's the future of these interesting technologies in this medium. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is your background and how did you end up in AR and VR? My longer term background is uh, essentially web-based experiences, websites. Mm-hmm. I was an early stage uh, before before that actually my career really began in animation I've done a lot of work in animation and from animation the step to interactive work in the browser um, wasn't that big so the browser was a really interesting space maybe around the year 2005 six seven a really interesting creative space it still is but I'm talking about the early days of flash yeah. which many people will remember loads of interesting experimental work a little bit more playful than today we of course had less devices uh, yeah. to worry about less constraints technically and so there was a lot of creativity on that on that platform and that's really where I learned how to direct interactive content that's where I was pushed to learn how interactive storytelling works and and you know, the difference between a game, which is purely repetition and skill, uh, versus an interactive narrative, which is really about a story that you interact with in a more limited way, maybe. That's my background. And from there, the, you know, the leap from uh, browser-based experiences into uh, AR and VR was very, very obvious, very natural, because they use the same tools, they use the same technologies, and they have some of the same challenges. But they also have, I'm talking in particular with VR, which came a little bit before AR. In my, in my experience, I think in many people's experiences, they have a lot more scope for exploration and interactivity and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I myself uh, started AR and VR with uh, Adobe Flash. Back in those days, as you said, uh, there were no Android and iOS phones, so we just had Flash, and we started there. Yeah, there was so much experimentation around that time, and and it's still, you know, and the browser is still a really exciting place where loads of stuff happens. Of course, the browser is for all of us like our central port exactly. into the universe now. Um, but as an artistic medium, I feel like 
2005 and six. That was really an interesting time. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Annie, can you uh, tell more about your studio? What are you doing um, currently and um, how did you found it? The studio came uh, from my desire to do experiments and projects um, and to organize that a little bit more than just to do that on the weekend or the evenings, a little bit here, a little bit there. And the studio, I mean, again, I told you already, it's it's a virtual remote studio, but it does allow me to create budgets for projects and ideas and then to dedicate time and also to bring on board some talented people that help me with those projects. And that structure is really is really good because even if maybe I'm, you know, during the week busy with um, some day-to-day let's say, day job stuff, you know, how I earn my money, let's say. Um, Things in the studio can still keep going. People can still work on ideas. Um, After I started the studio, um, I started to become interested in the startup scene. I applied for a few accelerators, and I was extremely lucky to become a part of Yellow, which is Snapchat's accelerator. Uh And so Snapchat became a part of the story. Uh, about two years ago, 2018, well, that's three years ago now, uh-huh, yeah. 2018, Snapchat became a part of the story and wanted to support that structure, the idea of a kind of experimental content studio, uh, a studio that is focused on r- inventing new new mediums or new formats within the AR and VR space. Mm-hmm. Great. So um, how do you see Snapchat's um, experiments with AR and VR? I think that Snapchat is a really big part of the story. Um, All of the content that we see on Snapchat, um, especially, of course, in augmented reality terms, Mm -hmm. are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And that's true, especially in the last year, the most recent update of something like Lens Studio, which is Snapchat's, you know, lens creation tool, AR creation tool. That wraps inside of a free piece of software a lot of really powerful technologies and it allows so it, it does two things i think it it, it feeds an ecosystem of creators yeah. um, and allows creators to experiment without having to put down a lot of costs and on the other side what snapchat and many others in that space but snapchat in particular because of its large audience what it's doing is it's making augmented reality a part of everyday life so even if you're not making ar the story of uh, all of these lenses that are available um, within Snapchat and um, outside of it too, because they travel. Um, they are training us, training sounds a bit wrong. They are making us uh, play with augmented reality every single day to express uh, ourselves or to have some fun or to send a funny video clip, but also with more serious stories. And that's incredible, I think. It, it creates the sense that augmented reality can be a part of your day every day. And even if maybe I don't post on Snapchat, I might make a video with a lens, download that, and put it on WhatsApp. And to have that be the message I send to my family in the morning to say, you know, good morning. It's creating a kind of way of expressing yourself that is different from typing. And augmented reality is really a big part of that. So I think that's really interesting. And then, sec- you know, and then separately, I know Snapchat have invested in uh, a whole range of companies, including uh, supporting mine, to feed the ecosystem of startups that come up with content, that come up with technologies and, and products. So I think they're doing quite a lot of work in that space. 
Mm-hmm. Great. So as someone who um, is inside the system and the ecosystem of Snapchat, how do you see the uh, relationship uh, between Snapchat and uh, its creators? I think it's very positive. My experience with um, Snapchat is really positive. I know that the creators I'm in touch with as an official lens creator, let's say, there's a whole bunch of community creators who are in touch every day. Um, yeah, it's a free solution to create anything you want. That's already amazing. And that the, the Lens Studio software is updated constantly with new technologies and new possibilities. So that's, that's impressive. And I, I think the team at Snapchat make a lot of effort for um, for its creators. I mean, it's not paid. You know, you don't get paid to be an official lens creator or to post lenses. There's no mechanism for you necessarily to earn money from that. But um, but they do make a huge effort to feel you are to make you feel you are included. And of course, the official lens creators, the community at a, as a whole, um, does you know give feedback on lens studio features before they come out. Um, so you know, I think it's a pretty good it's a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. I see. So it's not like you, uh, YouTube creators, um, earning money from the platform, right? No. the The way that you can earn money from that ecosystem is to be a part of the marketplace. Uh huh. Um, or, in fact, if you're a company like my studio, yeah, to be a creative partner, and and then you get introduced to brands, to uh, um, startups, to companies that want to use uh, lenses as some way you know, as some solution to their product launch or, or something like that. So, so the introduction is, is, is a really, is a really positive way to, to start to monetize that space, but there is no way to monetize on the basis of views mm-hmm. within that structure. No, I see. But, um, eventually I think they will choose some strategy like that. Um, don't you think? I suspect so. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any knowledge on that, but I think it makes sense, and I think that there are some creators that are really getting a huge amount of exposure, um, or just some lenses, some projects just go, you know, go viral. I mean, we all know the idea of going yeah. viral, and um, you know, I, I can imagine there being some solution that Snapchat may introduce, um, and um, yeah, and then you know, we have to see how that changes the ecosystem, right? Then it becomes a bit more competitive. So I think it's not, um, it's interesting, and I think it'll it'll definitely create some really interesting new dynamics in the space right now it is just i think what's really interesting about the space now the the snapchat lens space is a bit what i loved about the web space in 2005 mm-hmm. it's a lot of experimenting for fun and and i'm not saying that it's necessarily bad uh, or, or or it isn't going to be that if it is monetized but i do think there's something magic right now which is everybody experimenting with the technology and pushing the boundaries of this medium for fun. Mm-hmm. I see. So, Annika, um, you mentioned the changes in the platform and um, AR VR studios that create content for the platform, uh, like Snapchat and uh, etc. also the Spark AR and uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, how do you catch up with uh, speed of technology in these platforms and the new features every day? Yeah, it's really, really difficult. Um, that's part of the reason why the studio format works really well for me. My sort of studio setup is, it's not just me. I have a number of, of people that work with me on a weekly basis, almost in some cases on a daily basis. And um, and those people help me uh, to keep up with everything. I mean, I read a lot myself. I test and experiment a lot myself, but I couldn't keep up with everything um, if it was only me. 
So that's really important. And and that's also true because my interest isn't only in augmented reality or in social AR. I do a huge amount of work in VR, actually. And and the VR space is equally uh, fast at, at, at evolving and, and changing and, and new things are happening all the time in that environment. So it is definitely a really interesting challenge. How do you keep on top of it? How do you know the latest and the newest? The only way is to go and make a little project. Um, and I mean, the beauty of Lens Studio is it is possible to do something really quick and really simple, really, really fast. Um, so you could do, you know, you could do, you could say to yourself, Every day this week, I'm going to try one of the new templates in Lens Studio, and you'd learn a lot. And in 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 VR, that's already a lot more complicated. And outside of the Lens Studio or Spark AR ecosystem, that already gets a little bit more complicated. So I think the format of lenses, which are are really compact, sh- sort of short, simple experiences, mostly they lend themselves well to staying up. Now that we have machine learning or you know, uh, all, all kinds of interesting new things coming in, full body tracking. The lenses allow you to do small experiments and learn. The big challenge then, I guess, is how do you make those new technologies really useful and, and do something really interesting with it? You can only make so much time. And if all you're doing are little experiments all the time, then you're not really pushing the boundaries. And that's what I'm interested in. And that's what I think, you know, my studio exists for is is not just to keep up but to push that, you know, that medium forward to try a new tool like the machine learning in Let's Studio, or you know, mu- you know, uh, there's another project now I'm working on in, in Unreal Engine, which is all about using music to create virtual spaces, like ge- like a generative environment made from music. And so, so the 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 real goal of the studio is not just to try and keep up with everything, but also to push those tools forward and to combine them in unusual new or different ways. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. So um, uh, talking about the platforms, um, there have always been arguments and debates between creators and platforms. For example, YouTube has strict rules for creators and changes its algorithms from time to time, which affects its creators. Um, have you faced these kinds of um, arguments uh, in aerospace yet? I think there's definitely the sense that some creators are, um, you know, really making a name for themselves. We're beginning to see the emergence of augmented reality influencers. Mm-hmm. We're beginning yeah. to see the emergence of a voice in the in the community of, let's say, augmented reality. Exactly. Uh, that have the power or the influence or or just the audience to make make a big impact. And so, I think that time is coming. But I think. Um, a lot of those conflicting d- discussions, and, and I think they're all interesting and valuable. We're all figuring out this new creator economy. We're all understanding this new changing world of creating an income for yourself uh, in new ways. So that's really interesting. I think because lenses aren't monetized directly, I mean, right? Like there's no re- no revenue from views. That conversation isn't really there yet. But I, I do think there are really influential creators that have made a name for themselves, um, that have created a style that is super unique. And that is really, really interesting. That really, I think, benefits the scene hugely, is when people see a lens, when they, when they see an AR project, and they go, oh, that is absolutely that person. That's unmistakably them. That's really, really powerful. You create artists that use the medium to make something that is unique for them as an artist. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Um, regarding these platforms, do you see any value in a decentralized um, platform for AR and VR? Yeah, there might be. Yeah, there might be real value there. Um, what you would lose then, or what what you would need to build up first, is a sizable audience that can match the distribution opportunity that something like Snapchat or Instagram represents. Right. That's that's why creators make. Um, experiments and push them onto those platforms, and, and those are just two examples. But if you can, comp- if you compare working with Lens Studio or Spark to working with ARKit or ARCore, if you publish an app, you don't have an audience, right? There's nobody out that can that knows about your project. You have to make that audience for every project over and over again. So unless you already have an audience, that's hard to do. That's a challenge. And and if you push something onto Lens Studio, uh, sorry, onto Snapchat or onto Instagram, even if you yourself don't have a big audience, it will travel. If it is worth, if it's interesting, if it's worth it, if it has something magical, it'll find an audience. It'll travel. Unique experiences find big audiences without you already having it. There's something really magic there. A distribution platform as well as a creation platform all in one. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Enric, um, one of the interesting projects you recently launched is um, Camp Century, which, as the title goes, is a social VR podcast. Um, first of all, what is a social VR podcast? It's a little bit of a made-up title, but I uh-huh. think it represents what I think the project is. It doesn't really exist. I, I've never heard of it before, but yeah, I was trying to think either. of how to call this project. Like, what could I... How could I really capture it? And that, that was the way to do it. Because, um, so let, let me begin at the beginning. Camp Century is essentially an interactive documentary. Mm-hmm. It is a um, an experience in virtual reality about a mysterious U.S. Army base that was built in for real. It's, it's a documentary. So about a U.S. Army base built in northern Greenland in uh, the 1960s, early 60s. And there's a whole range of different things that are interesting about this this base. This project is a collaboration with Nicole Paglia, who is my co-director, and Ova Jensen in uh, in Copenhagen, who is my producer, and a whole range of other uh, important, interesting people with regard to this narrative. Um, the project is live. It's launched. It's probably about half an hour to go through it. You can revisit the base in VR. Uh-huh. That military base no longer exists it was abandoned at the end of the 1960s. It was built into the ice, essentially under the ice, right? 150 people living under the ice. Mm-hmm. And because they abandoned it, the ice just swallowed up that space. They left and slowly it sunk and got squashed by, you know, the currents underneath the ice, the the movements of the glaciers. So Camp Century doesn't exist in the real world anymore. Yeah. And we recreated it in VR. And and we did that in order to capture the full fascinating complexity of this mysterious place. And the reason I called it a, doc, a VR podcast is because we are by no means done. We've launched it and it's it exists in VR and anybody right now could visit it. But I, I, I can still imagine us going for quite a number of years capturing all the different perspectives and all the different angles that make this story unique and fascinating. 
Uh -huh. So why VR? Why did you choose VR for this installation? Well, the answer comes in two parts, I think. I mean, one, because it's a medium I know well, and so therefore, right, you, you firstly try to fit things into what you already understand. I've done a lot of research in VR. I've done a lot of work in that space that taught me how that medium can be uh, experimented with and explored. But, but secondly, I, I do think there's a real value for Camp Century to be in virtual reality. It is a very mysterious place. Imagine, um, imagine a, a whole structure of tunnels housing over 150 people mm -hmm. uh, built under the ice, under the surface of the ice in the 1960s, where when you are above the ground, above surface, you see virtually nothing. There's nothing there. And yet, if you go below ground, there's people there, scientists doing all kinds of research and experimenting on all kinds of different tools and, and um, a really interesting story. And so VR felt like the best way uh, to bring to life a place that once existed. It's the closest way for you to go and experience visiting Camp Century as it was in 1963, let's say, roughly. Um, I mean, of course, if you were having it on on video, on a video screen, on your computer, in YouTube, or, or there's all kinds of different ways you could do it. But it felt like what's most valuable in this story is for people to be back there and to see for themselves how strange this place is and to ask themselves, what would it be like for me to live here? Can you uh, take us uh, more into the details of the experience? Is it a three-duff experience? Is it six-duff? Is, is it arena multiplayer? Or um, how, how is the experience? Yeah, it's an experience that you can you can physically walk through. So it will work as a six-duff experience. Uh -huh. um, but you can also use a room scale. It depends on your setup. It's pretty flexible. Mm -hmm. And it's social VR. So that's ultimately the full title, right? It was social VR podcast. Yeah. One of the key things was um, in order for you to experience Camp Century, it can't be just you. I mean, I mean, Camp Century was a scientific military base. There were people there of all kinds and all types doing interesting work. And so it felt important for me for you to meet somebody else, even if we can't make it seem like those necessarily are the people that would have been there back in the day. Mm -hmm. It felt important that it's not just you walking through a kind of empty museum, a memory. Like it, it, it needed to feel real. And um, so, yeah, so Camp Century is essentially... Camp Century is uh, a persistent virtual reality environment. It exists right now, even though maybe nobody is in there right now. Mm -hmm. And if you, if I go in there and I leave a door open of one of the areas that you go in, and then you come a little bit later, that door is still going to be open. Interesting. So it's a persistent environment. You might bump into a stranger uh, who is also exploring with you. We've had a number of events in Camp Century. One in particular. Um, at the Copenhagen Film Festival, uh, which was really, really amazing. Through um, uh, Mark, Mark Atkin, um, we ended up talking about how to bring together uh, a number of experts uh, that know a lot about Camp Century and that have researched Camp Century. And what we did, uh, this is going back a couple of months now, is we brought four experts with experiences that are unique relating to Camp Century into the VR environment with avatars. And 
And then I was in Camp Century with Nicole, that me and her are the co-directors. And we were also in Camp Century as avatars. And I live streamed our conversation for about an hour. So we had, for example, we had uh, Soren Gregerson, who is now in his late 70s. But when he was a young teenager, he lived in Camp Century. He was a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we had Navrana Sorensen, who's a Greenlandic woman, who has experiences visiting similar nuclear bases in Greenland in the 1960s. And we had Christian Nielsen, who's the author uh, of a book called The City Under the Ice, who is an expert on Camp Century. And um, and then we had William Colgan, who is a scientist, an environmental scientist, and who continues to research Camp Century in particular now, today, who goes back to the area where Camp Century was built and uh, does a whole range of tests around the spread of the debris field under the ice and the melting of the ice. There's a really interesting narrative there. And we had all of those people together with us in VR, in the virtual reality Camp Century. And we had a conversation of about an hour, which we live streamed uh, all of us as avatars. And it felt really interesting. It felt like a really different way to talk about something as opposed to maybe having some experts on a video call and having some old photographs that we point at and look at. For us to be in the space that we were talking about and, and, and exploring and trying to understand, that felt really unique. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so, Eric, well, what are the lessons you learned um, from uh, this experience for your next VR installations? What I learned, I think, is relating to the story I just told you. It's really hard to make experiences that can do both um, live performances. So let's say, like I just said, an, a scientist and an author in VR with an avatar, mm-hmm. real time, live, right in the moment. It's really hard to make a space that does that, but also for the same space to be interesting when somebody visits on their own. Mm-hmm. The, the the tools and technologies that exist to make intimate stories or to build complex narratives kind of exist either for real time or for pre-recorded. They either exist as a kind of live performance environment or as a single player experience. And doing both in the same environment is tricky. It's tricky because you have very different tools for both. And building all those tools into the same environment is quite complicated. So it's definitely interesting to think about, you know, uh, is Camp Century more valuable or more interesting if you have time and if you're just exploring it by yourself versus having these really fascinating live events where people are in the moment, but the event only happens just for that one hour. So th- those are two different modes and two different mindsets. And, and there are definitely areas around the story of Camp Century that uh, kind of fall between the cracks when you're trying to do both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great, I see. So do you have any plans to publish Camp Century for other platforms or other mediums? Because I know uh, I've done uh, dozens of uh, VR and AR installations and you know the most consuming um, part is creating content and but um, uh, doing and developing it for other platforms is uh, much easier. Do you have any plans for that? Yeah, I'm working on a version of Camp Century, which is a little bit bigger than what's now public. Great. And great. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And we're working on 
the plans to make sure that it is comp that it is um, uh, that it works on uh, an Oculus Quest, you know, going to be PC powered because it's quite a, a, a visually rich, detailed experience. But mm -hmm. like a PC powered, PC tethered um, Oculus Quest and up. So my goal is to make Camp Century available on the Oculus Quest because it's the most well distributed VR headset as well as all Oculus and Vive devices. Um, I'm in touch with a couple of other manufacturers of VR um, um, headsets. I think it's definitely tough as an indie creator, as an indie developer, uh, to keep up with uh, the hardware world and, and the different directions in which you can go. It isn't just making a, an experience run on a particular headset, it's often making it run on the platform that comes with the headset. So for example, the, the engine that runs the, the social VR component where I can see you and you can see me and we both have avatars. The engine that, that runs that, well, it'll be different for Steam versus Viveport. And it'll probably be different for other headsets. So not only do you need to make sure your experience is optimized differently, you also have to re-engineer some of the inner workings of the experience. Um, but in every case, I think there's an opportunity and really what all of us as creators and developers are trying to find is the biggest possible audience, which, you know, is still, is still tough. I mean, I think we had, uh, about a year and a half or, or two years of really great growth in the VR space, but still it's, it's tough to find an audience. It's tough to get your work seen by people. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, so how do you see uh, the potential of AR and VR for storytelling, considering the feedbacks uh, you got from uh, this experience? I think it's really strong. Um, I think VR as a storytelling medium always impresses people, always captivates people and always has people, you know, uh, really immersed in the moment. And, and it goes beyond just having a, you know, a thing on your head, which overtakes your whole vision. I mean, that, that alone is compelling. You know, it's amazing to have an audience member that ha has in their entire vision taken over by your experience. But, but because people feel physically inside of your experience, they, ex they, they experience it with open arms, if you will. They, I think op it opens up something in our minds about being curious and being interested to learn and being open to other people's perspectives um, that I haven't seen as strongly in other formats I've worked with. So, so I think the medium for storytelling is a powerful one. I've been involved over the last years with a whole range of uh, nonfiction uh, or let's say VR journalism projects. And I, I, love, I love VR for the power it has to illuminate people's experiences and understanding of the world. And, and I think that's still a growing environment. I think both gaming and journalism are the two best ways I've seen of the uses of VR, specifically relating to storytelling. Mm -hmm. Great. So Enric has uh, for our last question. How do you see the future of storytelling in AR and VR? Um, the future of storytelling in AR and VR? Well, I think it is an amazing time right now. Um, I think there are a lot of things happening and we don't always maybe connect the dots. And consumers out there of headsets and people that are just looking for fun maybe don't always realize, but we're in a time where things like machine learning and things like server-side rendering um, are all coming together with social VR 
uh, in a whole range of different formats when we you know talk, we can talk about VR chat DJ scene or we can talk about people playing collaborative games together or we can talk about exercise experiences relating you know with zombies and, and, and I'm competing against my friends and we are comparing our you know um, th those things are made possible by the kind of technologies that uh, are, are a bit invisible you know Fortnite is a great example of that um, it works on every device and every device's experience is a little bit different, but you're plugging into the same world. And that world lives on a server. And that world is, you know, if we go away from Fortnite and we go to something like No Man's Sky, it's a great example of a game that um, is using sort of a, a generative and, and AI type te technologies to create an infinite universe of planets for you to explore each planet with its own ecosystem and its own flora and fauna and you can do that with friends so those are just two examples i think fortnite and and something like like like, like no man's sky uh, two examples that are inspiring for the vr scene because they're built on the same tools as vr creators have access to and the devices that we're using in vr are getting stronger and more powerful every day and most importantly most importantly, we don't need the big giant headsets anymore because server-side rendering and AI or machine learning at least, machine learning at least, which makes things more efficient and, and lighter. If we look at the AR scene, you know, that those same elements are powering the move from a handheld device to a head-worn device. So that's a really interesting change. Of course, we have HoloLens and we have... A rich story of Magic Leap, and, and just a month ago, I think, or so, uh, Snapchat's new Spectacles 4 came out, which does really impressive. I mean, all lenses in the ecosystem of Snapchat running on a device on your head in real time. It's early days for people to be wearing that outside and, and doing their work in the park or something like that, but, but server-side rendering and, and, and t technologies like AI and machine learning uh, are going to revolutionize those experiences in VR and AR in ways that we don't have to see, we don't have to worry about, we don't have to even pay attention to, um, and are going to make it possible for us to feel like, I think, it's already kind of happening, to feel like we have the option of stepping into the real world or into the virtual world and have really amazing experiences in either, really fun experiences in either, and it just enriches our life. Now, there are many other aspects to this, and we can talk about, you know, for hours about, you know, screens and devices and technology, and of course, even things like the environment come into play. All these devices end up making a lot of trash, and and the the, the materials that power them, right? They are scarce, and and so I I don't want to paint only a truly positive, glowing picture. I think there are challenges in the space that we all have to be aware of. Um, but I do think, by and large, VR is proving to be a really rich, powerful way to experience stories. And AR is going to do that as well as provide a really interesting new way to interact with maybe more practical, more, uh, more, more tangible products on a daily basis. Exactly, and also um, uh, for AR and VR, one of the bottlenecks has always been content creation. And with new tools every day, deep learning, it, it gets easier and easier to create 
um, contents with new tools like object capture from Apple you can easily uh, do photogrammetry um, on an object without being a photogrammetry expert and mm. those also I think speed up the way absolutely yeah I mean it's incredible that you can do a photogrammetry capture with um, either with Apple or with your iPhone 12 and uh, using polycam or something upload it to sketchfab and then go into a virtual reality environment with your friends to explore it using Firefox using Mozilla hubs yeah sorry not Firefox um, that's a creation journey a pipeline that I think five years ago we couldn't have dreamt about. I capture my space wherever I am, and about five minutes later, my friends and me are having a chat inside that space. Really interesting to see, uh, you know, universities having graduation ceremonies in those kind of environments, or fashion shows, or, you know, again, going into VR chat. I mean, creating a room out of a, a 3D scan in VR chat and turning that room into a nightclub where you have a live DJ. Um, you know, those th are things that are happening. Uh, literally right now and um, it's it's really powerful I think to think about that as a cultural scene as an inspiration back into the real world for fashion and for uh, for music and for style and also for culture you know going back to camp century to record uh, moments of history and bring them back to life for you to visit for me that was one of the things with camp century that passion that I felt most passionate about is is to re is to revisit a place that can no longer be visited. Now, human history, human culture, is literally littered with, with environments, with, with cultural monuments, with spaces that would be really, really valuable and really interesting to revisit, whether it's for education or for you know, virtual travel or for a whole range of other reasons. And the ability to do that with uh, very quick photogrammetry tools and with online platforms that in some cases you pay for, but in many other cases, you are free. Unreal Engine exactly. being an example of that. Exactly. Man, that is, I think it's fueling and powering a creative revolution and, and a creative ecosystem of creators that are just beginning to tap into what we can do with that. Exactly, exactly. Well, Enric, it was a pleasure having you on the All Things XR podcast. Thank you very much. An absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you.